Oh, oh, one more thing. Just One More Thing, a podcast about Columbo. I'm R.J. White. I'm John Morris, and on this episode we'll be discussing The Most Crucial Game. Originally broadcast on November 5th, 1972, directed by Jeremy Kagan, written by John T. Dugan, and starring Robert Culp, Dean Stockwell, James Gregory, Valerie Harper, and, of course, Peter Falk as Columbo. And each time around we're joined by a special guest... This time, it's author Glenn Eric Hamilton. But before we bring him on, John, give us 20 laps in the pool, why don't you? Absolutely. RJ, are you ready for some murder? Always. Robert Culp is. <laughs> yeah, are we all? Robert Culp is playing general manager to a growing sports empire and owner of a truly savage horseshoe mustache, Paul Hanlon. Bankrolling Hamlin's hard work is Eric Warner, a spoiled and soaking wet Dean Stockwell, who is being basically kind of wasted in this thing. Eric is also kind of a lazy jerkass, and Paul wants his money and maybe his wife, I think, so he does the only thing he can do, dress up like an ice cream man and kill him with a block of ice. It's a locked pool mystery, but that's not all. It's also Inspector Luger in a red sweatshirt. It's Rhoda as a Hungarian hooker. Can Columbo solve this ice-cold killing, or will he run out? of time ah there you go thank you john uh glenn thank you my pleasure for uh, wanting to do the Hi. program uh, a couple of questions first we usually do this uh somebody hasn't been on before um how did you first uh come to colombo how did you uh come to enjoy the program you know, I was trying to re recall when I first got introduced. I, I vaguely remember my parents being fans when I was a kid, and then, but I think I really reconnected with it when they when they brought it back in the '90s. It uh, late '80s. It, it, it got me interested in the '70s episodes again, and then I just became uh, quick, as as is my usual case, quickly obsessed <laughs> with uh, the mystery. The mystery, especially <laughs> since it was playing with structure, um, right. which was a lot of fun, and. Uh, I just just uh, got enthralled with whenever I could find the reruns on on uh, on cable. I would I would suddenly become sick that day and have to stay home from work <laughs> to watch them. So. And and uh, when we asked uh, if you wanted to, like had specific ones you wanted to do, this was on your list. Why was this particular episode uh, on your list of ones you were interested in? Oh well, uh, partially because it's a cult episode, mm -hmm. and I love all the cult episodes along the way. Um, just. One one look in particular, which I'm sure we'll get to in the course of talking about the episode, made it stick out in my head. But um, also that magnificent horseshoe mustache. You know, it's, it's yes. unforgettable. And any chance to watch the episode over you know, and over and just indulge in its luxuriousness was a chance. Yeah. yeah. My father in 1972 had that hairstyle and that mustache. And, <laughs> and that murder ice cream I'll, truck. So there you go. <laughs> and an ice cream truck. And he hated we Dean just had, Stockwell. We just had bunch of, that's all we had. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, let, let's. I don't. I'm not sure where to start because this one. It, it's interesting because uh, we, we've gotten uh, flagged by people who listen to the program by not doing enough uh, Robert Culp episodes, but there are only three. So we've, this is like mm -hmm. our second one we've done, and um, I like this one. It's not my favorite, but I like this one. And uh, John and I were talking for the program. I liked it a lot more watching it this time than the like the uh, first time I'd seen it, which was uh, quite a while ago. And uh, for me, a big reason I liked it didn't have anything to do with actually 
uh, cult or the story or Peter Falk or anything. It was actually the look of the episode I thought was mm -hmm. really, really visually interesting. Like, they actually tried, uh, the director of it, Jeremy Kagan, actually seemed to try actually making some sort of really interesting uh, film out of it. Uh, which I don't know if you guys noticed that or have anything you want to say about that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, similar yeah, to the absolutely. first episode, that it, it it had a distinct. It, it was clear he was he was pushing it a little bit in terms of style, and I liked that. Yeah, I mean, and actually, it's interesting you bring up the first episode because it was directed by Steven Spielberg, um, who also was a young filmmaker in his twenties. Was one of his early gigs, and that's the same deal for this Jeremy Kagan fellow too. He was like a. I don't think he was quite 25, 26 yet. There's only the third thing he ever directed, but this thing looks like it was some uh, person who's done quite a bit of things. These huge wide shots, these, these uh, tracking shots all over the place. It, it just made an episode that's kind of okay story and mystery-wise uh, a lot better to watch, I thought. Yeah, it's, it's absolutely yeah. a must-watch just for the visuals. Yeah. Or just, at least just must watch just that for was, um, uh, um, uh, Culp walking up that hill in the white um, ice cream man uniform <laughs> with, with the, the, the barren Los Angeles landscape behind him and holding the ice chunk behind his back, looking so sinister. I, I, that's one of my favorite uh, scenes I think I've seen in the uh, series, actually. Yeah. I want to I talk about the visuals in a bit because I, I did have something that made it a more interesting game. But I was obsessed a little bit with that cube, that big block of ice. How many do you think he had? I don't know. Because he had an ice cream truck. He could have put 12 in there and been right. like, what one looks best? Right. Well, actually, <laughs> like, I, I was like, that's my boy. I, well, okay. Let's, well, in case when I hold think... it up against the sun, which one will reflect the nicest? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I got that shot. It isn't, it isn't going to melt coming up that long hill to Dean Stockwell's right. like a sex house. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, let's talk uh, remember a little bit. When, of... Remember there were Dean Stockwell's sex houses on... Oh, it was a chain. like this like, chain since Kenny yeah, Rogers like those, Roasters. Right, yeah. and the Jerry Lewis restaurants and everything. Yeah, there's Dean Stockwell's sex houses. Usually, well, they would, you know, what they would do, Hogan's which is smart, they would see where uh, they'd build a um, Holiday Inn. It's like, okay, that's a successful spot. Right. And they'd build a Dean Stockwell sex house across the highway from it. So they'd be guaranteed, like, oh, well, that's a good spot, a safe spot. They'd wait for Holiday Inn to get their franchise in there first. Yeah, those things shut down in the uh, 80s. It was a shame. It was a shame. Yeah, I got run out by IHOP, of all things. I know. Isn't that strange? Because I would have figured, like, uh, the Howard Johnsons would have taken that over, but they had their own problems. But, yeah. Uh, well, maybe, uh, welcome maybe to our weird alternate reality uh, listeners. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Netflix might bring it back as a series like Tiny Houses, you know. <laughs> yes. Dean, Dean Stockwell. Like, <laughs> yes, yeah, Tiny Dean Stockwell sex houses. <laughs> Dean Stockwell's Tiny Sex House. <laughs> All right, I'll work on a logo for the Tumblr. Anyway, sorry, we should get back to talking about the actual. Anyway, episode. so, um, uh, but yeah, uh, so I played. I, I was playing a little game when I watched. The, I think we have a bit of a delay, RJ. In case I seem to be talking over you a little bit. No, that's you sound fine. Yeah. Things, okay. Um, so I was playing a little game, and it was it was before I even started watching the episode. But I had mentioned on Twitter that if a if there were ever a Columbo movie like a revival. I thought the Coen brothers would do an excellent job at it because they do have a stock and trade of these kind of like inept criminals who are punching above their weight and screwing up a crime. And they have a history of very humble or, or you know, uh, maybe seemingly incompetent heroes. 
mm-hmm. nonetheless managed to come out on top. So when I was watching this, I decided I'm going to try to reshoot every scene in my head as though the the Coens resh- had shot it. And it turns out I barely had to do any work. Oh. There are dozens of scenes in this that you you know obviously the limitations of television camera work uh, keep it from being a full on Cohen shot, but I can just I was surprised constantly by how often something seemed to be right out of their films. There's a just to name a couple. There's there's a cut where we see that sign that says "Head hurt, take a trip," and it's done in this old style, old fancy kind of painted style. Oh, outside the uh, the travel agency. outside the travel agency, yeah. right? And that feels my, like my a Coen Brothers shot. Get, my wife wants me to get a copy of that poster for her. By the oh, way, oh, it's she wonderful. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> I'm sure it was made just for the show too. Um, but yet, even going into the um, uh, travel agency, and everybody's wearing a weird uniform and being very stilted, mm-hmm. and then they, or, or the guy running is very stilted, and then the guy sitting at the table is very dismissive, or the shot where Columbo's sitting in the big row of yellow chairs, yes. or the shot where Columbo's walking down the row of telephone booths in the Los Angeles airport. They're very easy to translate to Coen Brothers shots. Well, I mean, there was, there was one shot I loved, too. It was when the uh, the private... Because there was a the sequence where uh, Columbo is the only person in the entire... Uh, murder victim's house who realizes oh this place is bugged because he caught like the, the high mm-hmm. frequency hum over the uh, stereo and so he's sitting there in the dark when the the uh, pi comes to pull the bugs out of the house which uh, uh mr hamilton uh, reading i'm mm-hmm. currently reading your first novel so i i was remembering some oh, of that nice. too um yeah but the guy comes in to pull the stuff out of the house and um the, he gets his stuff suspended, his, his license suspended, his, his equipment taken. So the uh, PI has to go and meet with Columbo at some weird, like, harborside uh, chili joint. And there's this great, huge, long, wide shot where you see him pull up in some very kind of typical 70s uh, detective movie car. It's like some kind of muscle car thing. And he pulls in right next to Columbo's beat-up, horrible old wreck. And... You just know right away, oh, he's going to meet Columbo. That's what the scene is about. Because you see the contrast between the two cars, and it was just a really weird, nice visual setup where it told you everything you need to know. Was That's why this car is here. It's got to be that guy meeting this guy. They're going to talk about something. But yeah, I just thought that was, like, visually they handled that setup for that scene very well without having to say, having to say anything about it. Yeah. There's a lot of that in this episode. It's, it's one of the most visually interesting episodes of this, uh, the 70s ones, I think. I was also a big fan of the walking through the airport and having yes. a conversation. I thought that was done really, really well. It goes on for so long. It's such a long, it's a uh, long tracking scene. shot, which is great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's never dull because it's constantly in motion. It's, it's the orig- original walk and talk. Yeah, no, it, it, it's great. <laughs> they did, the guy did it really well, and I, I'm surprised he... They, I'm sorry they couldn't have brought him back for more of these. Columbo episodes, I mean. I agree. He had a long career. He had a nice long career. He's had a nice long career, yeah. but yeah. He's a, he's a journeyman, more. right? He did a lot of the TV shows and such. Yeah, he did a lot of TV shows. He's, I think yeah. he's been doing a lot of like a short films the last uh, 10 years or so. So, I mean, he's still working. He's still active. Uh, look look up his stuff, Jeremy Kagan, because he's... That's fantastic. Very good. Yeah. Sorry. He looks great, too. He looks like a, a really hip, like, uh, L.A. Santa Claus right now. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> There's worse things to look like. Right? Yeah. 
So as a Robert Culp episode, yeah. and that guy is one of the uh, the big uh, three or four of Columbo villains, the recurring uh, folks. Um, how how would you kind of slot this one in for his? Uh, wow, you folks? I, yeah, yeah, I I'd probably put it as number two. I think okay. Deathlands is probably his strongest. Oh, easily, uh, yeah, he's great. Yeah. That creepy this odd, is, yeah. Yeah, this one is just a more interesting mystery than his third appearance, I think. Um, just because it goes more places, it does more things. And, of course, the mustache. Yes. Uh, but it's, um, it, you know, despite its holes, which I'm sure we'll get to in a minute. Well, no, why don't we, mm-hmm. let, let's, we can get to those right yeah. now if you want to. Um, well, <laughs> well, first off, why does he kill him? Uh, I'm not quite sure. Right, on that. that's my yeah, number that's one a question. Little, that's a little weird. Like, he doesn't... <laughs> I guess he's just annoyed at him questioning buying more sports teams because it, yeah, it, it's never super, it's alluded to sort of where you fill in the blanks as a viewer, but it's never very explicit as to why the murder has to happen then, why he's planned out this elaborate clockwork scheme. Yeah, he, he has to, and, he has to hear very clear, carefully to his timeline to get this done. My, you know, my best guess what? because, because of the timing is that he's in love with, at Wagner's wife, but I mean that's kind of their. Yeah, but that's not what I was thinking too. Super, never super. Never stated. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It touches his shoulder a lot. Yeah, that's it. That's as far as that. Like the goes. timing. Yeah the t- the timing of the murder, as near as I can tell, is just because she's out of the house. Mm. You know. Yeah. There's it, really, I, I can't see any other advantageous. This. Yeah, that that is definitely a, a little weak. On that side, and considering it's the motive yeah. for the murder, <laughs> I guess that's kind of a right. point. <laughs> kind of important. I suppose, yeah. yeah I, but I think another you know reason makes... I think this one high in terms of Culp episodes is because you know Culp always has that combination of projecting a lot of intelligence and barely repressed rage. Yes, you know, and I, he does. Does a, yeah, and in this one, he's almost snarling the entire show. Yes. You know, it, his character is and not just a Columbo, but pretty much everybody around him. Every, yes. Every yeah. single person he encounters. He plays a even, genuinely unpleasant person. Even, even a small child who only wants ice cream. He's angry right. at that. <laughs> That's how much of a jerk this guy is. I almost is. expected him to flip her off. <laughs> driving away with his finger extended out of the side of the van. And the thing is, and you kind of think like, oh, because he just has like kind of a uh, faked out ice cream truck. And there's a, no, later on, he had plenty of ice cream treats. Yeah. Because yeah, he's just, he he's just munching on jerk. a fudgesickle after he murders a guy <laughs> driving down the road. He could have just I, given I, that kid a free one. I, I don't know who had that idea, whether it was Culp or the director, but that was oh, brilliant. Was beautiful. Have, the have way celebr- was... Celebratory fudgesickle after the homicide. <laughs> because he, cause the thing that's great about that shot, he's just driving down the highway, and he's reaching for something like, oh, he's reaching for some sort of, I don't know, other thing for his plan, like the, the, the radio to listen to, make sure he's on time. Or some sort of maybe it's a gun. Who knows? But I, no, it's just an ice cream treat. He thought like, oh, I, I'm an ice cream truck. I might as well eat a fudge sickle after I've I murdered really, someone. I, yeah, I really wish that had become a running gag in Colombo, where all the all the murderers after the killings would have a celebrate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was definitely one of the highlights. I mean, there are a lot of highlights in this one. Not as many as there you feel like there could have been, but that was definitely. Uh, really, really nice touch. Uh, so, like, other... yeah, it's uh, this is it. It feels like it's made out of a hundred parts. Yeah, 
and I, I don't really feel like it has a, a whole story in it or something like that. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, like, the the, the odd stuff with uh, Dean uh, Jagger, uh, too, like that whole subplot, uh, the fellow who played um, mm-hmm. Stockwell's Walter. late father's Walter. attorney. I mean, it seems well, like that yeah. stuff was kind of tacked on and was just there to give an excuse for the bugs. Because otherwise... Along those like, lines... Eh, yes. Does he not... Did the lawyer not feel like a very 90s Columbo character to you? Oh. Because he had that same kind of like letting the air out of the room kind of feel that a lot of the, the 90s huh. ancillary actors did. Oh, you know what? He, That's interesting. I, never, I didn't think about it that way, but... Huh. Yeah, I could see that. I didn't think about it like that. Yeah, here to give you stuff to think about. Because I just, uh, the entire time, was uh, sitting there thinking like, oh, hey, it, it's a guy from uh, uh, Bad Day of Black Rock and White Christmas. Right. Looking, looking like he was in the sun a bit too long, and I'm worried or, for or, him. Or possibly Daddy Warbucks. I'm not sure. <laughs> yes, yeah, that too. To, to me, he looked like an uh, an egg-headed lizard in a suit, but okay. Well, okay, I guess that's, yeah, same thing. <laughs> same difference. <laughs> he was an okay actor. I'm, yeah, the thing just about... Just not in this role. He was okay. Just not in this role, yeah. The thing, the thing about having so many different parts is that it's kind of hard to talk about this episode as a whole. It feels like there's no grip for it, you know? Mm-hmm. Right, like, it's, it was just kind like, of... Like, very... I think the closest we came, yeah. No, go ahead. Sorry. Uh, uh, it just it. I think uh, yeah. I think actually I was interrupting you. Please go ahead, RJ. No, no. Uh, believe me, I, I deserve to be interrupted upon. If you <laughs> ask our uh, listeners. But yeah. I was just I think the, the closest we've come to getting a grip on it is saying it ha- it feels like parts rather than a whole story, and after that, like it's just going to be us discussing individual scenes. I think. You know what? As I'm looking at my note, I got like a, a three and a quarter pages of notes here, and I'm looking at them and uh, listening to you making that point, and I'm realizing, yeah, kind of. It's the really good visuals, yeah. and there's a lot of good scenes here and there, but it doesn't feel like a really good consistently through the entire episode story or whole. Because the ending was mm-hmm. the ending was a really great ending. With like the way it was edited, with the faces oh, it's on beautiful. It. Uh, the murder yeah. was like really uh, brutal and interesting. Um, the setup, the drive out to the murder, and like uh, the, the odd uh, scene in the gymnasium with a lot of the old Lakers greats, where Columbo's asking a guy about right? shoes. That's a great <laughs> scene by itself. But you know what? You might be right. This is just kind of like a, a whole bunch of neat stuff yeah. thrown together. That's not an entire episode. Yeah. Oh my there, goodness. There's a lot, there, there were, a lot of tasty things. Two, yeah. You're right. I agree with John that it doesn't, as a mystery, it doesn't hold together very well. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah. I would know. Uh, but I, I'm looking at, like, the, the, my notes about the Valerie Harper thing, the Valerie Harper scene uh, with her as yeah. a prostitute. Hey, that's a funny, uh, neat scene, but it, it just it just kind of dropped in there. Like this this weird compartment. Yeah. Oh, jeez. You know, this, it was kind of the same oh, thing goodness. with the. What's it? Well, I'm just looking, I'm just realizing some things now. Good. Okay, please go while I think about this. Oh, dear. Okay. Well, uh, the Valerie Harper scene, which I loved, because mm-hmm. it was well done, and Harper's really good, and she never got enough chances to show that off after Rhoda. Um, and that's kind of of a piece with the scene with the private detective where Columbo was really tormenting him about his license. But 
together they make an interesting element of the Columbo personality because we we see him frequently go after murderers and take his time and be really slow paced and deliberate and slowly driving them nuts. But when he's dealing with little tiny crimes that don't involve murder, like a little a little prostitution, a little bugging a house, uh, he doesn't waste his time. He just immediately starts fucking with them. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah, he fucks with Valerie Harper immediately when he's done, like she brings in her John and he's like, "Yeah, actually, I'm with the police." And then that's within what a minute of it. That's but what, fantastic. But what I love is, and it's a thing that uh, throughout the series too, when he comes into those crimes that are smaller than murder, he just always seems very bemused by them. Like he's just kind of amused, like, "Oh, there's mm-hmm. people doing these other little crimes. I'm dealing with the uh, people who've been horribly, horribly murdered, and their life has been." stolen from their bodies but uh, uh you're just a con man oh uh, you're just bugging somebody oh uh, you just got some guy in from cincinnati whatever he always just seems like he's kind of chuckling about it <laughs> if it's not murder which yeah. i always love he... too <laughs> yeah, he kind of couldn't care less if it's not death right yeah which i mean yeah, is understandable yeah. considering what he sees every single day yeah it's like oh that's nothing right. just laughs and, about and it he'll... And he'll cut to the chase a lot in 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 his Columbo way of yes. dealing with them, mm-hmm. right? Like, right. Do yeah. this or you lose your license. Do this or I deport you. Yeah, you know, well, it's it's not stated, but it's there. Right. Well, even even like the uh, the, yeah. the private investigator, like he kept saying like, oh, don't feel, like over and over. He kept saying that don't feel bad. I would have seen it. Don't feel bad. Like he's like reassuring the guy. They're like, ah, <laughs> oh, yeah, mm-hmm. it was kind of sloppy. Don't feel bad. It wouldn't happen to anybody. Which is still kind of messing with well, the that's guy. Well, that's one of the great. social... Oh, very much so. But this is still one of the social contract things that happens in Columbo, or the, the class awareness things, is that when Columbo, this lowly detective who constantly brings down these big, rich sons of bitches, uh, meets a, a hooker, a, a private detective, like some really slimy private detective, he's technically socially above them. But mm-hmm. he goes out of his way to just be like, "Don't worry, you you did fine in your job. Don't worry, I'm not going to yes. drag you." He go, yeah, he does what the rich people don't do for him. He tries to put them at ease and raise them to his level. Yeah, yeah, definitely, yeah. Because I mean, yeah. it's a thing. Like, think uh, Leonard Pierce, who's been on the show uh, in, the, in the past, he wrote an essay that was really good uh, recently about Columbo, or about I, I think it's a thing that he pointed out, which is a good point that there have been, like, little hints on Columbo's backstory that he could have easily maybe gone in that direction. Who knows? Mm. He could have been, like, some, like, a uh, yeah. uh, guy doing this kind of stuff back in New York City if he hadn't moved or had some sort of thing that decided to move him over to do police work instead. And I think he kind of sees that. Or people he grew up with uh, back on the East Coast, too. I think that's probably part... Yeah, it, but it, it's definitely that, that class thing that always, always runs throughout Columbo, which I think is great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Pardon me, I'm coughing. <sighs> Boy, it's just... It's hard to go from one to the, one discussion to the next, <laughs> well, isn't it? Let me, let me let me ask first about, you know, the... I can... I, I imagine the his agent selling this to Dean Stockwell and saying, okay, Dean... Mm-hmm. You you get to lounge in a bed, you get to lounge in a hot tub, you get to lounge in a pool. You're talking on the phone for all three. Pretty much the first half hour of this mystery is people talking on the phone. And then, but <laughs> on the on the flip side, you have to wear the the most god awful tiki medallion. Since <laughs> yes. I love that medallion. Yeah. You know? <laughs> no. And and I and Stockwell immediately asking for a twenty percent raise just for the medallion. 
mm-hmm. alone. But you know, that's not a bad. <laughs> that's a lot of lounging and talking on the phone. That's not bad. Well, thing is, like, I, I, in my head, yeah, I kind he... of. I'm oh, sorry, go ahead, please. No, please. I'm, okay, get, well, I'm, I'm, saying... I'm having a delay, so I'm going to screw. In in my head, I kind of like. That is like the early seventies Dean Stockwell actor and character where I just I kinda of seem like I feel like he always kinda of played those kind of guys way back then. Because even in uh, when he's in Troubled Waters, he yeah. plays some kind of weird, uh messed up, strung out odd fellow too. So I kinda of feel like it's the same kind of guy. So it it was kind of amusing by kind of when I saw him in this, I kinda of feel like, Oh yeah, that's what I would have expected uh, Dean Stockwell to play in uh, nineteen seventy two. Like this right. kind of guy, just yeah. just Jake. kind of sweaty in a Jake. pool. Yeah, <laughs> seemed, yeah. It seemed normal to me. Somehow. I was also thinking uh, uh, Dean Stockwell and Peter Falk were both in Vim Vendors films, and I'm wondering if, if there's oh. any chance Robert Culp might have been too. Oh, I didn't oh. know which one was uh, Dean Stockwell in. Paris, Texas. Oh, God. you know what? I still haven't seen. He that. plays I Harry Dean Stanton's brother. Oh, oh it's God. so good! Arthur. I know. I need to see it. I haven't seen it. It, it. It's Laura. It's one of her favorites too. Yeah, I gotta see that thing. Yeah, I know. I gotta see that thing. Oh man! Now even knowing that, that's even a, that's even a bigger reason. Jesus. Okay, I'm writing it down. <laughs> I'm writing it down. <laughs> even. See, right. has, has there, has there ever been a more Dean Stockwell line than "I need reviving, man"? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> It is so weird to know about like young libertine Dean Stockwell who was playing swingers and and uh, strung out dudes, going on to play what was it Al on Quantum Leap? What was his yes. character's name? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, but then if you think, he was about just him, such like a, a like not long before that, you know, he was in a Blue Velvet as the creepy yeah, guy true. singing the yeah. <laughs> so it's. Yeah, so it doesn't—it doesn't seem like a huge stretch to me. It seems like uh, um, Quantum Leap was the aberration more than the norm there for him. Probably. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think. I'm looking at this stuff. Oh, so you mentioned James Gregory, another Columbo alumnus. Uh, he was indeed the murder victim mm-hmm. in Short Fuse, murder victim of Rodney McDowell's pants. Um. <laughs> so yeah, so it was interesting to see him. Are we in all? Yes, exactly. Um. So interesting, it's like in such a small part in this, but actually it seemed pretty perfect to have him play a frustrated, angry, annoyed football coach. I never knew that, like, oh, I could see him doing that in some uh, weird 60s Disney movie where some weird animal has been put on a football team because of some regulatory <laughs> issue. Just getting the frustrated. There's nothing against a animal kicking a ball. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so it, it was nice to see him I think he... uh, pop up there. I think he was pretty important, actually, because we learned so little about Dean Stockwell's character mm-hmm. uh, for the murder that he's the first guy we learn anything about Stockwell from. Mm-hmm. Good point. Yeah, right. actually, yeah, 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 you're right. Yeah, about the whole family history yeah. and all that stuff. You're, yeah, it's a good point. Yeah. Okay. It mm-hmm. is true. It is true that you know we we would probably look at we would probably <laughs> maybe be more sympathetic to to Culp's character Hanlon if if the coach and Stockwell's wife weren't both so uh, positive on his character of saying, yeah, he's, he's a layabout, but everybody likes him. He's got, he's got a good heart, right? Yeah, that does, you're right. That does make Culp seem a lot more selfish, a lot more like a jerk for just killing him. And it, because it's this point you brought up that, that it makes Culp's like a reason for killing him just seem thinner and thinner and thinner. The more people are like, yeah. he's okay. He was just a rich guy who, 
maybe because I even like Suckle's character when they're talking about uh, he was trying to set up the alibi for like oh we gotta go up and uh, see about buying a hockey team and then Suckle's character is even talking about like well can't we just use the money for something constructive instead of buying another sports team mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. may like oh well, yeah. you probably wanted to do different stuff or maybe things that are maybe better for society than buy another damn team for something and that kind of makes it worse yeah this tiki medallion fact yeah, yeah exactly right <laughs> tiki medallion's for inner city youth we can revive polynesia there we go <laughs> i think uh i think maybe it would have been a nice addition to robert kolb's character because we lo- we know nothing about hanlon and it yeah. would have been nice to maybe see like this is this resentment born out of Hanlon had to work his way up. Was he poor? Did he have to just like struggle every day of his life? And then this kid, Eric Warner is just such a thorn in his side with his recalcitrance. And he was just born into money. That, that would have been a nicer motive. Cause I mean, would, I think give some depth to him. yeah, definitely. They, they do say Hanlon was a PR guy and yeah. frankly, at least likely PR guy I've ever seen. He's, he's right. just, <laughs> he would not be. He would not be good trying in a, in a crisis to confront oh. the press. He'd be horrible at it. Just pissed at them. <laughs> they made this rocket, you know, this rocket rise up the up the the uh, uh, up the ladder in his organization. Right. Is maybe mm-hmm. looking. Can you that? I guess. Yeah. I. That, that, hey, yeah, wait. That was kind of weird. Hmm. I just. I just had a thought. Did they say how Warner's father died? Mm. No, no, they didn't say anything about yeah. that. Oh. Jeez. Ah, Paul Hanlon. Interesting. All right. Okay. I'm liking this a little more. Okay. Oh, I good. Like that. That's great. 44 years later, we're finally coming up <laughs> with some sort of justification for this story. Right, so when, when we remake it. Yeah, that's right. We'll be set. <laughs> John T. Dugan, we're doing your work for you. <laughs> oh, that's not. Yeah, funny. John did a fine still around. Let's find him. Okay, I have to. I have to ask though: mm-hmm. Is this, in fact, the longest afternoon in the history of Columbo and possibly television? Uh, the afternoon of the murder, because you put it together and he he kills him at two thirty. That's well established, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And yeah. then the delivery boy, the cops, the detective, the coroner, and Columbo all arrive at the murder scene. While the game's Colum- still going no. on, yeah. Wait, the game is still going. Right, yeah, because Columbo's is constantly distracted by the game because he was just, a, right. as he put it, testing out a new hammock in his backyard. <laughs> and Columbo goes to the stadium. The game is still going on. That's right. Yeah, and, it is. And, and then, same day, because Culp's in the same suit and tie. Right. And, 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 and Walter Cannell complains about, why didn't you call me this afternoon? Flowers are already rolling into the into the house on a Sunday. Uh, oh, everybody's cleared out. It's the right. same day. Then they exit the build. They exit the house. There's that you know, lovely shot of the of the inside of the house, and there's a tease of it looks like the sun's going down. But no, then we go to LAX, and the sun's still up. Right. Like it's my day. <laughs> it's like this afternoon never ends. You're right. <laughs> I just I it's at some point oh. I figured it was the next day, especially the airport. I thought so too, and then Transition, I, I. But you're right. I looked at the suit and his and and Walter Cannell's lines, and it's clearly not the next day. So oh. apparently, it's, apparently, at, in 1972 in L.A., it was light until like one in the morning. I'm guessing. Sure, why not? Oh. And, 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 and yeah, we do have a yeah. we do have a night scene where, of course, the the private investigator comes back to get his stuff, mm-hmm. but that just takes us to Monday. Right. Right. 
This is the shortest combo ever. Uh, and then, of course, wow. I guess uh, the Gladiators were playing Sunday and Monday. <laughs> a couple back-to-back games? That doesn't seem he, smart. He does say, well, the, the detective does say in the in the waterfront chili scene um, that he's been <laughs> trying to reach Colombo for like three days. Okay, so it's later that so, week. So, yeah, so it's later oh, okay, that week. Okay. Yeah, and, and can you imagine like going into that uh, waterfront chili joint and there's some guy in a filthy raincoat with a half-eaten bowl of chili listening to a tape recorder over and over again of someone's murder or some like like phone calls and stuff. I would just kind of like get to the doorway and then turn around and walk back out. Because the vibe in that place would be a little weird. There are no other customers in the place as far as I can see. Yeah, that's why. Because he's sitting there eating with like a cold bowl, half bowl of chili just listening to the same recording over and over and over again. It's like, ah, I'm just going to... And it's a real shame because... The, the Oceanside East Cafe had just added a new snack bar. <laughs> <laughs> I, I took photos of that of that scene. I just I know what the signage is. Good. Yeah, that's I didn't even think about that. Like yeah, the first sequence that that so that does go on forever and ever and ever. Well, that's just weird then yeah. because you know, yeah. as, as a guy who writes mysteries, you know sometimes you write a mystery and then you go back and you piece it together and you realize how how is all this happening in the same day. And you you have to figure out how to break it up. Well, because right? you have you have yeah. idiots like me who don't pay attention to it <laughs> until someone points it out to them, and then you're fine. There you go. <laughs> just just rely on us morons, and it's it's perfect. It's gravy. <laughs> um, oh, speaking of the, the the football game, I kind of liked actually that whole thing where just the sound of it on the radio and just constantly, mm. constantly, constantly on. But then also, I couldn't for the life of me exactly place who the announcers were and i'm just thinking of these guys mm. in some booth having to record this dialogue somewhere <laughs> to be overlaid i and, well, and yeah i thought one of them might be dick enberg who was doing local la sports at the time but i can't find any citation of who these two i can't find any credits anywhere of uh, who the two voiceover guys were do you, do you think though they were actual announcers because they were talking utter utter pap well, so yes, yeah. they were actual announcers then. Yes, they yeah, were. Dude. They were. They were doing a good job of imitating <laughs> actual announcers because nice. there's a lot of covering a <laughs> crap. There's only there's only a couple minutes left, but there's time for a few more plays in the game. Yeah, so, so especially <laughs> especially we're as, gonna need to keep an eye on him. And, yeah. as Michael, lousy a team as the talented toe, that talented toe from Sweden. <laughs> for that, yeah. and, and and as lousy a team as the LA Rockets seem to be. They would have had to do a lot of filling and a lot of just talking and tap dancing on the air. So it seemed like it kind of fit pretty well. <laughs> but I, I just kind of wish I knew who they were. So one voice sounded familiar, but I'm not entirely sure it's who I thought, I w- thought it was. But I don't know. Yeah. So if any of our listeners yeah, not a... happen to know. Yes. Because I'm sure that Venn diagram of obsessives about sports announcers in Colombo has to be a really, really uh, wide oval in the middle. Yeah, email us. Sure. I kind of feel like there, yeah. Yeah, I think it might be. I, uh, right. I'm trying to remember. There's an episode. Of, there's an episode of Kolchak where he's listening to the White Sox in the World Series. I think <laughs> on the radio, and that becomes like a kind of a plot point. But well, is... I can't remember any more than that. Isn't it supernatural that the White Sox made it to the World Series? <laughs> yeah. is that what they're so. It doesn't seem as though at first. But... Some mouth of hell opens uh, yeah. up and a salt vampire <laughs> has something to do with it. I don't know. Something crazy. 
Not sure. I, I, oh, actually, I, it's my favorite episode. It's uh, they have been, they will be, they are, which has an invisible alien dude. Oh, yeah. is that? Oh, John, and, is uh, that the one with the uh, Joyce Van Patten in the museum? Is it that Kolchak episode? <laughs> no, it's not oh, that Kolchak. Oh, it should have been a crossover. <laughs> there should have been a crossover with the with the knight, the 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 um, that's right, the suit of armor and the Kolchak episode. Joyce Van Patten, yes. Yeah. <laughs> There's an amalgam universe where Columbo and Kolchak are the same character, and they have the sh- the episodes have all run together. No, no, they team up. They team up. And I want yeah. I'd rather see Mar- a team up. Marvel team up. We need yeah. a Marvel team. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. NBC, NBC mystery. But then they'd have to each one. fight one of their enemies. Oh, right, yeah. They'd have to each fight one of their enemies, right? So yeah. Columbo would have to have Patrick McGowan, and then Kolchak would have to have an enchanted suit of armor. Yeah, see? There you go. Right. This so writes I, itself. What, one, of the other reasons I, <laughs> uh, one of the other reasons I was glad I picked this episode that I realized after the fact is how many... Columboisms there are in the episode that it yes hits. Like, you know he said how much did you pay for those shoes oh my right? god it comes up so often he ruins the shoes by stepping in the pool and so he's obsessed with replacing his shoes as cheaply as possible throughout <laughs> the entire episode so many people are accosted for the location and price of their shoes that they are wearing so apparently in 2016 dollars Walter Cannell paid about 340 bucks for okay. his shoes and right. Columbo was looking for something that's around right. seventy or eighty, I guess. So. Oh, that's pretty. Well, that's that's higher than that's, I thought he's paid no, for shoes. That's okay. Reason. Yeah. 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 All right. Still okay. Yeah. Nice. And hey, thank so. you for doing the dollar comparison. Because usually that's yeah. John's gig. So thank you. I, I, yeah. I know it's John's. I know it's John's gig. And sorry to steal your thunder, John. But I was just so curious about how much would a sixty-dollar <laughs> cost these days. And it's like turns out a lot, a lot of money. See, I th- I thought about that in the shower the other day. And then I thought, like, yeah, John will probably look that up or something. So there we go. <laughs> uh, thank you that. for doing that. Appreciate it. Wanted <laughs> more listeners. I'm getting like. replaced. Yeah. Um, oh, so I was gonna bring uh, someone else. Bring up something excited. There was just one I was just going to talk about, and I have to look up my uh, look at my notes for it. Yeah, this well, is weird discussing t- this I, one. Yeah. I like I, it. Yeah, I, I tell you my favorite scene. I think. Oh sure, please yeah. do. Actually, probably it's not my favorite scene, but it's late at <laughs> night when the private detective comes back to uh, collect his bugs, and he walks into the musical metal uh, uh, yes. cat's tails, right? Which doesn't doesn't seem necessary, but no, and that's and that is not the point at which uh, Columbo gets up and says like, "Hey, I, you got a cop sitting here." No, he waits after that. So is Columbo mm-hmm. sitting there in the dark, which is great. Let's the guy do that. <laughs> Have to like in a panic, quiet it down, and then turn the light on. And then that's when Columbo goes like, "Hey, I'm here." So he lets him yeah. feel like an idiot first, which is wonderful. <laughs> I think. Yeah, <laughs> it, it just adds another. I mean, there's a lot of the thing is, as odd as this episode was, which it's a weird, good, odd episode. But I think that they, um, yeah, um, Glenn, like you said, it's there's a lot of good Columbo stuff in it. Like there's yeah. a lot of he's doing good detective work. Uh, he's doing a lot of uh, good stuff at keeping throwing people off their game. He's doing a lot of great uh, things of getting people to underestimate him. Uh, being cheap, uh, being just kind of a regular guy, uh, not wanting to like uh, throw off people who aren't rich jerks. I mean, so right. there's a lot. It hits a lot of like the really good uh, Falk Columbo moments. 
So it, from that point of view, this thing is solid. Yeah, it's just like, yeah, the story and the murder itself, that's where it's kind of like, uh, there's a lot of seams showing, sort of, I think. Is, yeah. is this the first episode where he hints at having children? Oh, wait, where because does he do that? I missed that. He talks about the ice, his wife complaining about the ice cream truck showing up at the wrong time and ruining the child's appetite. Oh, no. I, always, I just assumed that was like neighborhood kids. Like he's oh, just in general. Yeah, I think he was just saying the mother. Yeah. Ah, in, in, my, in my head, I just was assuming she was just angry about that in general. Like as a principal, like ah. oh, these families, it's just going to ruin the kids' appetites. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't necessarily take it as being his kids. Really. Oh, interesting, interesting. Yeah. As, a, as a as a as a parent who who thinks about his, his child's <laughs> appetite, maybe that just stuck in mm-hmm. my head. Going, yep, yep, that would be a concern if the if the ice cream truck showed up at two thirty and I. No, I can't get the kid to eat, eat her dinner, you know. But I, but I like the fact that yeah, he brings it up as a reason. Like they were like he talks about his wife, be like, oh, she's even mad at the ice cream man, and then just like uses that as the thing to get into talking about. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, no one's even on that route. I looked into it because he's done the off-screen detective work about calling the ice cream company, about looking up every single last thing we don't see him do. Yeah, right. Oh, there's a thing. Was it? I've just done a little uh, looking around uh, some of the photos, some of the screen caps I took, thinking about uh, Dean Stockwell's giant tiki medallion, which, if Vincent Price catches him with that, he's going to kill him. (laughs) Uh, But uh, every other scene of the house, the decoration is Asian. Oh, yeah. He's got got Indian and Asian stuff everywhere. Oh. And a tiki thing. And this is very, like... Modern, almost Mies van der Rohe kind of house with just nothing but windows all over the place. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and and my favorite shot of the episode is Culp reflected in the windows, walking alongside the pool. Yeah. So oh, that's uh, great. Yes. yes. You, you see his reflection first, and then you see him just stalking. That's oh, that's wonderful. Uh, another great uh, a lot Culp's, of great shots of this. Well, another great Culp thing. Actually, I like Culp's performance in this a great deal. We've talked about him being constantly on the verge of just yelling at somebody. All the time in this thing. But um, uh, there's, there's this great fake out when he's committed the murder. We see him driving down the road. And then I think we cut to uh, his box at the uh, Coliseum. And there's a guy co- that uh, somebody coming in to talk to him. And oh, he's like, oh, oh, yeah, the coach comes back. And he's like, oh, God, he's not back in time. Coach like, yeah, you're here. What's going on? And then Culp comes out like everything's fine. Nothing wrong. Sits in his things like, oh, no, I'll defer to you. And he has the binoculars. And as soon as uh, Gregory is out of the office, uh-huh. just this look on Culp's face as he lowers the binoculars, kind of like, because <sighs> you knew, <laughs> you didn't, which is great because you didn't see him have to rush back. You didn't see the sequence where he had to like rush back, run up, change all the clothes. You just see the aftermath of it where he's finally kind of exhaling. And then he has this kind of awful kind of smile on his face too, the smirk, because he kind of got away with it. It's like this exhausted smirk, which I thought uh, was great on his part. Well, I yeah. told you about I told you about what sold the episode to me and I remembered that look. It was just, I mean, oh, it's such, that? A, yeah, yeah. such a powerful evil slash relief look yes. that oh, I remember from this episode. Yeah, yeah. it's amazing. And, and to contrast that with at the end, um, when uh, he realizes uh, that the clock is yes. just completely screwing him over. Mm. Like the the the, sh- the close up shot of him, like the the sequence of editing in that from the clock 
to Falk to Culp, going back and forth to all of it until you just get that uh, that uh, spent tape reel just flapping, 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 and that's how it ends, which is interesting. It's not on one of the people; it's just the tape flapping up. But before that, like Culp's reaction is just wonderful, where he just realizes it's over. Like there's no speech thing, like at the end of um uh his his first episode where he's like. Well, it happened. No, it just—it's this thing, of like, uh, and that just stops right. there. And so then you it's just all kind of wonder what um, happened next. Yeah, all, it's all you know, terrific acting and terrific editing, selling an ending that's pretty weak, honestly. In well, terms yeah. of, yeah, 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 you know, but the two of them make it so strong in cult. You know, uh, uh, Falk does this wonderful thing where he's he's bringing up the clues and he. He has sort of a coughing fit, which almost seems out of nowhere. He takes yes. the thermos out of takes the thermos out of his case. <laughs> yes, you know, and then and then they're on the ten, sir. You know, where he has to remind right. he has to remind the guy who runs <laughs> the damn team what's going on because he's distracting him. Yeah, I love that. Oh my god, that's great. Yeah, yeah. and and Culp, as you say, Culp's stunned reaction where he can do nothing but blink and take a drink and straighten his tie, mm-hmm. and while Culp while Falk stares at him, it's just I mean they're. That the acting sells the ending, really, yeah, it, really. It it it's odd because it seems, yeah, like they had to use the uh, style and the visuals to actually sell kind of to paper over kind of a weak uh, mm-hmm. story in a way. Which in the seventies mm-hmm. one you don't see that as much, and the nineties ones uh, they didn't even bother trying to use the visuals to do that. You just had it all kind of weak. So it, it's odd to see this in a 70s episode because usually it's the other way around it's a pretty strong story and it just kind of looks okay but yeah this they seemed like they were really pushing hard to sell it in a way right i don't know right yeah it's uh it's, it's... yeah i wonder where that editing was taking place what they have the story or the what do you mean yeah like who was who was the guy who said like the, i wonder who the script editor was is basically what i'm asking and like what role he played in trying to get this thing back on track. Yeah, I like to wonder like exactly what the original script, the original story was. Was it this and it was kind of cut into a weird thing like this, or was it not super great in the first place and they had to kinda try to hem something together out of that and this is what you get? Yeah, I don't know. It, it's a, yeah. it's it's a I, weird I, one. Because mm-hmm. the shots are so specific, my guess would be that the director realized that he had some weak moments and, uh, or, or some, some moments that he could play with because it was a fairly short script oh, and yeah. that he, he could fill in with what he wanted to do and did a good job, a very good job of doing it. Actually. Yeah, you're right. That, that's a good point because there's a lot of just long shots. There's a lot of long shots where nothing's being said. There's nothing going on. So yeah, you're right. That, that is interesting. Like, yeah, there was yeah. a lot of short, uh, kind of nothing here, story-wise, that... Man, you know what? The more we talk about this, the more I'm getting impressed with uh, Jeremy Kagan as a director. <laughs> that guy did a yeah, heck of a did job a good with this thing. Did gig. Some fine work. I feel like this is like the Road Warrior script, where it was like it's only supposed to be like 12 pages or something. Oh, really? <laughs> I've never heard that story. Yeah, it's... What is it's that? Like, it's an incredibly short script. The Road uh, Warrior? Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, I think either Road Warrior, one either Mad Max or Road Warrior, because there's very little dialogue in it, and so there's just the bits of dialogue, and then you know a paragraph saying what happens, and then they get you to the next line of dialogue. Oh. very good. And, and, I mean, there's another another good fact. In this, 
little little moments in this, like Culp's um, after he puts on the good humor uniform, uh, his little practice smile in the in the mirror. Oh yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, why is that? Who knows? Because he never smiles at anyone for the course of the rest of the episode. He assumes I have to pretend to be a friendly ice cream man just in case. And then when he has to to that kid, he isn't. <laughs> no, he's not at all. He completely forgets it. He's a horrible jerk to that kid. I uh, I also don't know why house cleaning chicks did not become a business name. <laughs> <laughs> you know, this you know, there's actually a clip on YouTube. Somebody has clipped out just that moment of Culp going. It took me a while to connect with the word chick. <laughs> and they just they grabbed that one moment. Nice. Just because it's so it's so strange in 1972. I will look that up. That'd be a good thing to include yeah. in the post. Okay. Yeah. Uh, just yeah. yeah I, I was, was, I was thinking. Should be a thing. I, I hadn't thought about that enough. I wonder if because I originally thought he was mentioning that he was making up that lie about getting house cleaners so that he um, didn't look bad in the eyes of the of the widow. But mm-hmm. I wonder if it's because he realized, oh, that could have been a real weakness in my alibi. You know. Mm. If I set him up with the girls, that might have seemed like I was setting him up to party. And you know. right, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, probably. Yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah. I feel like that whole scene was a lot of him trying to cover up because he had, because he never intended probably to have a homicide detective there when he had to talk about any of this stuff. Like he probably had his patter ready for uh, the widow, mm-hmm. right? But right. then he has to like kind of attenuate it to like speak to both of them at the same time and cover both things at the same time. So he's probably like uh, rather nervous about that and having to like, oh, I'll explain it this way. Oh, actually, I didn't think there'd be a murder investigation at the same time. Well, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, I do wonder whether he did set Eric up with, the victim up with a girl and then covered for himself by doing the house cleaning, which is an easy thing for the police to check, of course. Right. Um, Or whether that was honest (laughs) and he didn't expect Eric Wagner would sleep with the girl. (laughs) And it's like, Oh, damn it. I got for myself. (laughs) (laughs) He said, he suddenly turned the alibi into a liability. Like, yeah. The, did you catch in Columbo walking through the locker room, his abashment at nudity, where he catches a glimpse of, he obviously catches a glimpse of someone and shields his eyes. Yep, he just, Columbo is always embarrassed by human nudity. No matter the gender. (laughs) No matter the gender, right, exactly, yeah. Yeah. He's a very uh, bashful man, Columbo is. (laughs) Bless him. (laughs) Even Uh, men in towels next to him. Um, I'm looking at some like lines I liked about like um. Oh, at the airport, he had the thing about uh, well, the culp is just so mad at seeing him at the airport, uh, from the phone booth, and uh, the very very pointed line, uh, where then Columbo says to him, "Boy, you really know how to get things done," and it's very obvious that mm. what he means is, I think you probably uh, did this murder too. Like, there's a lot of like a really good double entendres like that for Columbo, and uh, what's the other one too? Where um. Oh, and he brings up the uh, the autopsy that the people didn't expect there would be an autopsy, and Clovis says, "Oh, actually, we ordered an autopsy." And he very pointedly turns to look at Culp's reaction, and I was like, "Wonder why?" And, and Columbus is like, "Oh, it's typical in a murder investigation. I think that's the first 
time that he's very, very obvious about it definitely being a murder, uh, as opposed right. to just being some accidental thing, which that's another nice Columbo uh, consistent type deal. I think I caught the moment, too, where we, you, you guys have talked on podcasts before about the moment when Columbo suspects mm-hmm. And I don't know that he suspects Hanlon until Hanlon out of nowhere says, I talked to him on the phone. He was alone at that time. And Columbo gives him this look like, huh? Why okay. would you mention that? Yeah, Why would yeah. you? Men- yeah. Right. It's a thing where like the murderer is often too helpful with information. Right. The, the old, uh, well, here's how I think it might've happened syndrome. Like that sort of thing where they just give out a little bit too much. That just makes you then look, uh, like you definitely know way too much about the circumstances. Well, okay, so this one, this was a peculiar one. It kind of feels good, but then mm-hmm. you dig into it a little bit, it's like, oh, maybe not as, I don't know, it's so strange. I do, I'm very conflicted about how I feel about this. Uh, let's kind of go around and uh, do the summation of things. Uh, starting Mr. Hamilton, uh, how, overall, what do, you, what do you feel? You said it was your second favorite among the Culp episodes. And I have to admit, I haven't seen this one. I hadn't seen this one in a while before we saw it. And uh, the other one, which I think I would almost put in my second, uh, the Subliminal Message one, I haven't seen that one in a while, too, so I don't know if maybe my opinion on that one will change. I'm not sure. Uh, but uh, after discussing it, uh, what, what would you have to say overall about this one now? Yeah, I, you know, it's one of those things where I'd give it an, an A in terms of the, the amount of Columboisms it's got in it. You know, mm-hmm. the... the the bit of Columbo nuggets that's got in its, in its wonderful directing directing style. You know, it was clearly wasn't a point and shoot exercise. You know, they really thought about this. They've got that wonderful kind of dirty Harry type score from. Oh yes, God, that's this, great. Yes, exactly. Great musical score for this one. Um, well, all that ratchety instrument they use yeah. that all the time. Yes. The, the, um, uh, 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 our housemate says that's who's a musician. She says that's a fr- called a frog. Oh, okay. Uh, Makes the frog sound that rick, rick sound. Yeah, it's all over the uh, place. This, yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, but it has that sort of Lalo Schifrin, Dirty Harry, intense score to it. That mm-hmm. again, I think does some of the work that the script isn't doing. Maybe yes. Um, you know, bumps it up. So I give it an A for that. As a guy who loves mystery structure, and that's sort of what made me fall in love with Columbo and, well, and as, as a guy who like, uh, writes right. mysteries for crying out loud. You, that's, that's your stock and trade. You, you do it's this. What, yeah, what I do. Right. And, and who, who likes to look at mystery structure and how people play with a lot. It's pretty weak. You know, I, I got to give it probably a C in that sense in that it's got these different elements, but it never quite ties them together. Like there's no, he, Columbo goes and talks to this person. He talks to this person. He talks to this person. But there's no interaction or strong buildup between the private eye and Valerie Harper's prostitute character and Dean Dean Jagger's character. Um, although there could be, it could be there. It wouldn't right. it wouldn't have been all that hard to do, right? Yeah. Um, tie those more strongly together. So you know, but but just in terms of having fun with it as a bit of television, you know, I'd give it. I'd certainly give it a solid B because it's a it's a it's a it's a lot of fun to watch, and I I had no problem rewatching it a couple of times to for this episode. I I mean I think something that you pointed out, which is a huge issue with it, is the fact that yeah, there's no clear motive for him. 
outside, mm-hmm. like, yeah, he just doesn't like the guy, which most of the time in Columbia, they do a good job of setting up, like, well, no, someone has something to gain from this person yeah. being dead. That's why and, they've set up this elaborate plot. And you don't and ever think, really see what he has right, to gain. Yeah, I think it's right there, too. I mean, they could have easily implied that he was in, he was in, in requited or unrequited love with the wife. Yeah, or that or there's some financial thing with the with the, exactly, the teams exactly. or something. But it just kind of like skates up to the edge, but then doesn't really, yeah, it doesn't really make it super explicit. It doesn't have to be he that explicit, but doesn't, doesn't even try to. On the contract to put it into you know L.A. basketball Laker terms. So. Right? Yeah. <laughs> did did Culp, did Culp steal his mustache from Pat Riley? That's what I want to know. It, who knows? Yes. <laughs> um, but I mean, I think it, it's the same thing as like you just pointed out that um, it, they could have made yeah more explicit the connection between Valerie Harper and the private investigator. They just kind of like said it was. They said right. there was connection, and I think the entire thing is just—it's a lot of you just kind of have to hang on to just kind of drifting from disconnected scene to disconnected scene to disconnected scene that all look nice, that are all well acted, uh, but it's not all together as a really nice congealed whole. It's an okay right. episode, like you said. It, it, it's good to watch. It's interesting. You got Robert Culp uh, being a yep. jerk murderer. You got uh, Peter Falk going after him. Right, but beyond I, that, so there, it's it's there, a lot of was, style and not much there beyond that. For there me. was one thing I noticed that didn't hit me until until I think the last time I watched it. Hmm. You never see Paul Hanlon either at his home or at his own office. Like Columbo, he's always in the field. Oh, he's, he's hmm. always out there working. You never you, you hear references to his office, and he mentions his apartment. You right. never see the references. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, he doesn't really have any sort of like a home base or anything except for that box at the yeah. calcium, which I yeah, love. I that's... Mm, go ahead. Uh, so I was just saying that might be part of his resentment is how hard he has to work while Warner is just swimming and partying. Oh, yeah, yeah that's a good point. Yeah, yeah. Maybe. maybe. Yeah, yeah. now that works. And I, I, I love um, when you first see uh, the outside of the Los Angeles Coliseum, it's this weird, ominous music. Like, it's a scene of many horrors in the past. Like, it's like, <laughs> bum, 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 bum. It like, is. Oh, no, it's the terrible Los Angeles Coliseum. Ah, I don't know. John. Yes, sir. What What are your thoughts, and what would you rate this? <clears throat> well, <clears throat> you know, I love Robert Culp, and oh, yeah. I appreciate how uh, Culp, like Every episode that McGowan is in, McGowan has to yell something in a sing-song voice. <laughs> yep. I really appreciate that uh, every episode that Culp is in, he seems to have to find a chance, to, an opportunity to go, Columbo! In a really frustrated, I'm at the end of my tether voice. <laughs> yeah. Which he did get to do here, and I, I love that. I, I admire how Culp, through all of his roles, manages to play a guy who's very smart, very aware of his surroundings and has a plan or has a strategy until all of those plans and strategies run out. And then his frustration just takes over, Yeah, which I think he also was playing here. Yeah. So, I mean, he's in top form. Uh, Falk was an excellent form for some reason, seeing him do that little arm pump at the end of the episode was very rewarding. <laughs> um, but yeah, this was, 
like I, I think the first two times I watched this, I just assumed I knew the motive. And then it was only the third time I realized, I don't know. I don't really – they never tell us. Uh-huh. So that's going to make it a hard case for Columbo to solve uh, or to get to court, to court anyway. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but with all that being said, lovely visuals, uh, kind of a waste of Dean Stockwell, but not much of a waste of Valerie Harper. She was great. She was like a linchpin to the episode. Definitely kept your interest. Uh-huh. Robert Culp's incredibly strong. But just for the shakiness of the story, I'm only going to give it five and a half, maybe six enormous submerged tiki necklaces. <laughs> Great name for a band, by the way. Enormous submerged tiki necklaces. <laughs> yes, definitely. That's what they used to call me when I sang blues. Well, thank you, Glenn, for doing the show. Um, Absolutely. Let, uh, tell folks... Uh, uh, what you're working on these days or what's been recently released and uh, where they can find such things. Absolutely. Uh, well, as, as, as we've, as we've gone into, uh, I write mystery thrillers. Um, my, my first book was past crimes. It came out last year. My second book is called hard cold winter it came out earlier this year. I just turned in the third one to the publisher and there's, there's call for a fourth. So it's, it's, oh, it's nice same, to be wanted. same character, the, more of it's the Van Shaw stories or. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Same character, so it's a series. Um, it's been popular and, and uh, it's 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 been well received, so I'm happy with that. Folks can find me. Um, at, uh, easiest way is at my website, GlennEricHamilton.com. Glenn with one N, Eric with a K. Um, or follow me on if you want more frequent and less uh, more tongue in cheek updates. Uh, Facebook and Twitter are always the way to go. And I'm always at Mystery Conventions, so I'll see you there. Oh, good. And I have to say, wow. yeah, I, I'm uh, currently reading uh, the first novel, Past Crimes, and I'm enjoying it quite a bit. So, yeah, if, if people uh, check that out, check it out. It's, it's, it's some interesting stuff there. It's a good book. Um, <laughs> all right, well, that is the program for this time around. Thank you for listening. Uh, if you want to listen to other episodes of this podcast, you can find us always at jomtpodcast.com. Or by searching for just one more thing, and whichever podcast app you happen to be using, iTunes, uh, Google, Stitcher, whatever, uh, just find us, we'll pop up there. And if you feel it in your heart, you enjoy it enough to leave a nice review, that's uh, never a terrible thing either, and we would appreciate it a great deal. Uh, if you want to find us uh, for more frequent updates uh, about what we're doing and other folks on uh, uh, the internet who are posting stuff about Columbo, you can follow us on Twitter at JMT Podcast, and also on uh, Tumblr, jmtpodcast.tumblr.com, uh, where we're always reposting stuff, and John posts uh, really great screen grabs and his further thoughts on the episodes after uh, we put them up here. Um, if you want to write to us, we enjoy getting emails. We got a, a couple uh, good ones this week, actually, uh, and we do respond to them, or John does at least, more regularly. Uh, than I used to, <laughs> or than I used to, for sure. That's that's the case. That's uh, uh, Columbo at the CityDesk.net. That's program for this time around. Uh, we'll be back with kind of a special one next time. Ooh, a hint. Let's try to guess, everybody. Um, I'm R.J. White. I'm John Morris. And uh, we'll talk to you next time. Thank you. Good night, everybody. Just one more thing. We've checked all the hotels in Acapulco. That's so far. Of course, Shirley has a bit of a whirling dervish on every committee there is. Very social. 
Uh, sir. Yes? You don't mind if I ask you a personal question, do you? No. What'd you pay for those shoes? I think about $60. I stepped into some water yesterday. I ruined mine. You don't know where I could get a pair that looks like that for around 16 or 17. 16 or 17? Sorry, I, I don't really at the time. Thank you.